0: Just
1: want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's just take some time this morning to thank Him. Father, we thank you. We thank you. There's so much to be thankful for that if we truly took the time to just begin to list and to, to write it all out, God. Uh, for the things that we take for granted, um, the things that we overlook, the things that we just expect, Father God, the list would be too long for us to keep. But God, what trumps all of those things that we enjoy on a daily basis is what you came and gave, Lord Jesus. A greater love has no one that he lays his life down for his friends Lord no one took it from you but you willingly laid it down God if that's all you ever did for us it would be more than enough you owe us nothing and yet you continue to pour out your generosity upon us God you owe us absolutely nothing and yet you freely give your Holy Spirit to all of those who call upon your name father i pray that a realization of that would just produce the fountain of life that we call ourselves as this church to bubble out from among us lord god so that life begins to spring up around us for you said whoever drinks of the water i will give them will never thirst again So let us stop living like thirsty Christians, but let us start living like the walking fountain of life that you've called us to live, Father. Today we choose to step into gratitude and step into generosity from a place of gratitude and from a place of faith, not a place of obligation or fear, twisting of the arm but father we step into the life of generosity that you've called us to live that you yourself demonstrated for us and you said now that you've seen me do these things you do so likewise and you will be blessed father we thank you we give you praise in Jesus name amen give somebody a hug and have a seat this morning amen Thank you, worship team. You guys are phenomenal. We love you and appreciate you. Thank you, Joseph. All right. Well, welcome to Fountain of Life Church. Welcome to Be the Church Sunday, uh, something that we do uh, at least a few times a year, uh, and I'm really excited to be here and be a part of it with you today, uh, because how many of you know the church is not a building? How many of you know the church is not something you do? How many of you know the church is you? We are the church, and we've been called to live like the church I just want to welcome you today. If you're joining us here for the first time, we would love to have the opportunity to get connected with you a little bit better. And so if you're here for the first time today, would you please take a moment to fill out a first-time guest card? You should have one at your table. If not, ask somebody at your table uh, for one of those. And if we need extras and you run out, you can fill out one of those later by getting one from the hub later. But also, you can fill one out digitally. If you like technology, you can just take out your smartphone, scan the QR code, code at that metal sign at your table, click I'm new here, and you can fill out a Connect card digitally. And that just gives us the opportunity to reach out because we want to get to know you. We want to tell you a little bit more about the church and God's purpose for us here. And we hope that you can be a part of that journey. Secondly, you'll see at your table, you should have what we call our Go Deep Guide. And we encourage you to take that out and you can use it to follow along. Although they're not exactly notes to the message, they are questions for you to take home to dig deeper into today's message. And so our hope is that we can provide you with a resource to deepen your devotional life. And so how many of you know sometimes you can hear a sermon and be like, wow, that was a great sermon. And it doesn't impact the rest of your week. We don't want that to happen. And so part of the reason for these go deep guides is that you can continue to chew on what the Holy Spirit has spoken to your life today and it can get rooted deep within your heart. And so take out those guides and you'll notice that on the first page, there's space for notes as well. So feel free, (coughs) excuse me, uh, to jot down um, anything that you feel God's speaking to you this morning as we go uh, through the message today. (coughs) Excuse me, Nadia, can I get that... uh, cup of water. That's not for me to drink though. So if someone would be so kind to bring me a a water bottle as well, that would be fantastic because I can already tell I'm going to start coughing. Thank you so much. Let's give it up for Rochelle. So we're going to be brief today because we want the emphasis to be on what's taking place when we're done gathering here today. We serve a God who uh, set a pattern for us. I was reading this morning as I was praying early in the morning in the prayer room today about Jesus and just reading through the book of Matthew and just kind of skimming the different miracles that he performed in the book of Matthew. And you know what all of a sudden jumped out to me and you you might be saying, uh, duh, Pastor Joe, but you know how sometimes something just gets illuminated and jumps off the pages? And what really jumped off the pages to me this morning was every time you see Jesus performing a miracle, uh, he's usually not at the temple. He's usually going somewhere. He he he's on top of a mountain and he feeds the five thousand. He's he's on a on a journey on the road and and he and he heals. Um, uh, a centurion's uh, child. He's uh, a Pharisee comes and approaches him as he's on the road and says, "I've got a sick daughter. Or, or no, she died. I have a daughter that passed away. And so, if you will come and lay hands on her, I know that she will be healed." And so, what we see is uh, that probably ninety-five percent. I'm making that up right now, but I'm sure it's close. Ninety-five percent of the miracles that we see Jesus perform is when he went to them, and even. when when people came to him he was on the road he was he was never confined to a building and yet we're a part of a culture today where we put so much emphasis on the Sunday morning experience that we feel like the key to revival is cramming enough people into a tight space shouting loud enough to get God's attention so that hopefully um, the spirit of God will break out when in reality what if we have corked? the fountain of life within us because we've tried to contain it all to a particular location or particular building. And so what happens is we've sort of compartmentalized the Holy Spirit as someone who operates in the gifts of the Spirit on a Sunday morning, or maybe if we're super radical, at a life group in the middle of the week. And God showed me something this morning. He said, he said, if you read Scripture, Paul tells us that the Spirit distributes the gifts. But the Bible says the Spirit is poured out upon all flesh. And I want you to think about that this morning. Because so often we reduce uh, the Holy Spirit's role in our life to supernatural gifts When a reality is supposed to have such a great impact on us that it invades every part of our life so that the fruit of the Spirit becomes evident in our life every single day. And some of us need to break free. We need to uncork that fountain so that the fountain of life can begin to bubble out of God's church the way that he designed. When someone pops the cork on a bottle of champagne, Uh, And you see it a lot in sports, right? When the D-backs were making this historical underdog run, they were taking a lot of baths in this champagne and they're spraying it everywhere. And what happens is when you pop the the cork out of the bottle, it begins to bubble out. Why? Because inside that bottle was built up pressure that was just waiting to come out. And so within that bottle remained potential for overflow. And the potential for that overflow was always within, but there was a cork that was holding it back. And when the cork is popped, then the the bubbling out is released. And as Christians, you need to understand that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so within you is the potential for life to come bubbling out, for power to come bubbling out of your life. And the potential for overflow is in every single one of you. And not only that, but as you read the scriptures, you see that the pressure to pour out that spirit intensifies more and more each day as the Lord draws near. The Bible says that we're supposed to have even more urgency, not because we know the day or the hour, but because we know every second that ticks by, there's a clock that's ticking down and he's coming back and he's going to return. And so there should be an urgency to pour out. But the problem is we oftentimes as a church have a cork that is holding us back. So this morning, I want to ask you, what is your cork today? What is that thing that you feel like has stopped up the potential that God wants to bring out of you through the power of his Holy Spirit? Maybe it's, I'm afraid to give generously because I'm afraid I might need that later on. Maybe it's, I am way too busy to serve both inside and outside of the church. I've got my own problems to worry about. Maybe that cork is, I know that Christians are supposed to share their faith, but that's just not my gifting. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm too shy to share my faith. Whatever that cork is, in order to pop the cork, we've gotta change the way we think about giving and serving. Sometimes the only way to change the way we think is to change what we do. Have you ever ever found that? Have you ever found that when you sit there waiting for your attitude to change before you act, you never act? But oftentimes when you act in spite of your attitude, when you act in spite of your fears, your anxieties, oftentimes that's what uncorks What's holding you back? And the right thinking and the right attitude comes as a result of what you did, not out of uh, necessarily even a willing heart or a passionate heart in the moment, but out of obedience and out of faith. Sometimes the only way to change the way we think is to change what we do. And so here we are, we're finishing uh, the fourth and final installment of this series we entitled Life Squared. And if you take a look at your Go Deep guide, you'll see there's a logo on there. And we took it from the, uh, uh, I always worry I'm gonna pronounce this wrong, the periodic table, is that right? Okay, the periodic table. And so the two letters uh, for uh, lithium are L-I, and iron is F-E. And when you put those together, it spells life. And the exponent Uh, Number two uh, represents uh, a, a a number multiplied by itself because we believe that we serve a God of multiplication, not addition. And so we talked about in week one how God is a God of multiplication, not addition. What that means is an addition mentality is I want to add to what I already have. And that's the American dream in a nutshell, Right? I wanna store up treasures for myself on this earth so that one day I can retire and coast through the rest of my life and um, I can just do the things that I always wanted to do. I can travel and I can do all these things. And so that can be an addition mentality. An addition mentality has a vision for self, but a multiplication mentality has a vision for the kingdom of God. A multiplication mentality has a vision for uh, the whole world, And so we talked about um, in John chapter six, when God said, you feed them. He wasn't just performing a, a miracle in front of his disciples that were spectators, but he said, you feed them. He made them a part of the blessing. And because they were a part of the blessing, they experienced the multiplication as a result. And so we learned that God is a God of multiplication. We learned two weeks ago that God wants us to experience multiplication blessing through serving, not only through giving, but through serving. And sometimes when we serve out of our great need, just like the widow did when she served the prophet Elijah, that we get what we needed at the same time. That's how good God is. And finally, last week, we learned that God wants us to experience multiplication through extravagant generosity. That's giving above and beyond. It's it's being generous to a point where people go, whoa, and it gets their attention. We we talked about last week how it is expected. You should not be surprised, but you should expect that the Christian lives a life that is so generous that they see Jesus in you. That's a whole other level of generosity, amen? And this morning, I want to talk to you briefly, and I want to provide a biblical basis to raise our standard of generosity. Where where does the standard start and where does God want us to take it to? Because as generous as this church already is, and we are, I wanna tell you this morning and challenge you that there's more room for us to grow in our generosity. What must we give is a question that's often brought up. What are we supposed to give? What do I have to give? And it can be a mentality that that goes throughout your entire relationship with Jesus. Um, I remember as a teenager with raging hormones, the question was, how far is too far? What am I allowed to do with my girlfriend and I still stay pure, I could still go to heaven? And we ask that when it comes to giving, how much do I have to give? But what if we're asking the wrong question? What if that question in itself reveals something very disturbing about our sinful nature that still has a hold over us? I want to contrast two Bible characters in the New Testament with you real quick. First, there was this man that if you read in your Bible, there's probably a title that says the rich young ruler. And he approaches Jesus and he's like, Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus. Tells him all these things. And he says, these things you've said, Jesus, I have kept since my birth. But yet the question itself proves that he was looking for validation, right? He's wanting Jesus to say, yep, you're good, you're set. Because there was already, I believe, a stirring in his heart that there was something missing. So Jesus said, there's one thing that you lack. He says, go take all of your possessions and sell them and give your money to the poor and come and follow me. And how did this rich young ruler respond? It says, he walked away downcast and discouraged. Why? Because he was a very wealthy man. And so we could stop there and say, yeah, it's just not good to be rich, right? Because uh, the wealthy just, you know, it's, it's easier for them to enter through the, the eye, a camel to enter through the eye of a needle, right? And, but here's another rich man. in Luke chapter 19, by the name of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. So not only was he filthy rich, but he got filthy rich by turning his back on his own people, right? And collecting taxes for the Romans. And he got his wealth from dishonest gain. He cheated people in their taxes and he's filthy rich. But Jesus says, hey, I'm gonna come eat at your home. And so Jesus responded in generosity, believe it or not, by inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home, by gracing him with his presence. And at the end of that meal, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus was so overwhelmed with gratitude that Jesus would come into his home and break bread with him that he says, I'm going to pay back everybody that I've cheated with interest. And so we see two completely different attitudes from two rich people. One, the rich man left discouraged, but Zacchaeus left inspired. See, the rich man came from the mentality of, what must I do? But Zacchaeus asked the question, what can I do? What do I get to do? And so I believe that after listening to this short message this morning, that you're going to leave today either discouraged or inspired. But how you choose to respond to it is up to you. So let me talk to you briefly about the state of the American church when it comes to giving to the church. And that's where we're going to put some of our focus today is giving to the local church. In reality, there's been books written about this and how there's a shifting, there's a change in our culture. Uh, There's a book, a good book written called um, uh, something about tsunamis, like the seven tsunamis that are coming against God's church or something like that. I should have looked it up before I shared that with you. But in that book, it states that the tithing generation has come and gone, that tithing is no longer the norm, but it's the outlier. And so as a result, we have churches looking for other ways to fund their ministry. So. Uh, not to look down on this because God has blessed us with a good partner in Scholars Academy over here. And because we lease that building to the school, it does provide an extra source of income, which gives us the ability to operate and do things that a church of this size wouldn't normally uh, be able to do. Um, And so that's a blessing. But as a result of tithing going out the window, and it doesn't mean that people have lost all sense of generosity, it just means that more and more they only wanna give one-time gifts to certain causes, but that act of that faithful, consistent giving has gone by the wayside. And so as a result, listen to this, at most churches, over 90% of the tithe that comes in goes to salaries and facilities. Not because their heart's in the wrong place, but just because that's the only way they can maintain being a church. They have gotta take care of the building that they've been blessed with, and they've gotta pay the salaries of the people that help do the ministry. And so as a result, I think what that does is it leaves a lot of churches to be very internally focused. Because when we have our annual business meetings or we meet with our deacons and we go over the numbers, it's always buildings, budgets, bills. And so that begins to start to change the thinking in our culture where we, we have to put the focus all in facilities and all in salaries. But how many of you know this morning that God's vision for his church is way bigger than that? His vision for his church is way bigger than buildings. It's, it's way bigger than salaries. God's vision for his church is that we would turn the world upside down. The disciples did this before there was ever a church building ever built. But let's be honest, let's deal, before we move on, let's deal with the elephant in the room. Because I think all of us have a horror story when it comes to giving or the misuse of giving within the context of a church. We all agree here, raise your hand if you've got a problem with leaders and pastors who twist the scriptures and use the church for their own personal gain. Or they try to become wealthy on the, on the backs of believers. Okay, we all agree that's pretty messed up. That's not the mission of God. Or how many of you, sometimes you have a problem when you see some of these really famous celebrity preachers that fly around in their private jets and they live in these enormous mansions and they only wear designer clothes, right? So sometimes that, that irks us and it makes us think like, are they really being good stewards of what God has given them? But let's be real. That's not the norm. That's very, very rare. And I'll say even in in slight defense, not to mention any specific names, but some of those uh, celebrity preachers that we call, they didn't get rich off the ties of the church, but they got rich because they got a book deal, you know? And I'm not going to approach that today or try to judge whether that's good or bad, Um, but most people are not getting rich because they have such good tithers at their church. Most pastors aren't getting rich that way. And in fact, I looked this up just this week. Uh, according to payscale.com, the average salary of a lead pastor in Phoenix, Arizona in 2023 was $52,000 a year. So some of you would say that, and you might say, that's too much. Others of you will hear that and say, wow, that's not very much. Some of you might say, I'd love to be making that on a yearly basis. Others might say, "Um, that's a little too much. I don't think the pastor should be making that much. But in reality, when you consider uh, where that's at, it is much more reasonable than the way that it's blown out of proportion by some of these celebrity preachers. So why do I talk about that? Because I believe firmly that it's not God's will that the mistakes of leaders in the past cause us to become tight-fisted in our giving to the church. And I'll say this, I'll say this, if you go to a church, and that includes this church, that you don't trust how the funds are being spent, or you don't see the fruit of it, you don't see a church that emphasizes uh, preaching the gospel, making disciples, it's time to find a church where you are comfortable paying your tithes to. And if you don't sense that here, I don't know what you're smoking, but if you don't sense that here, then I would invite you to go find a church where you can be confident that when you invest in that church, you're investing in the kingdom of God. And so there's a modern debate still going on today that I believe actually serves as a cork to many of us. And that's, is the Christian still required to tithe? Now, some of you, you hear the word tithe and you don't even know what it means, right? You're like, what's tithe? Tithe just means giving. It doesn't. It means tenth. And so the standard uh, that's being set when you talk about the tithe is that a tenth of your income is given to the church. And so are we still required to do that? Is that old covenant versus new covenant, what does that mean? And so I'm gonna attempt to briefly uh, teach on this. So first, before we get into that, let's talk about what the tithe is and what its purpose is. So the first time we read anything about the tithe in the scriptures is Abram, before his name was changed to Abraham, um, he gives a 10th of all of his spoils to the priestly king Melchizedek. Before the law of Moses was ever written, this is something that he did out of his own will, We, we don't read that God commanded him to do it, but out of his own will, there was a principle that he must have believed, that I'm going to take a tenth and give it back to God through the priest, the king, Melchizedek. Not only that, but when we do read Moses' law, in Numbers chapter 18, we learned that a, a, a purpose of the tithe was to take care of the Levites, who were a tribe of God's people who devoted their lives to the service of God. Into working within the temple. And so here's what it says in num- Numbers 18, it says, yes, I'm giving you all these holy offerings that the people of Israel bring to the Lord. They are for you and your sons and daughters to be eaten as your permanent share. This is an eternal and unbreakable covenant between the Lord and you, and it also applies to your descendants. Then down in verse 21, it says, as for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them the tithes from the entire land of Israel. So from the beginning of God's promise to bless the world through Abram till now, the tithe has always been a starting point. This is where it began. But you say, Pastor Joe, that was the old covenant. What does the new covenant giving look like? I'm so glad you asked I'm so excited to show you that because I believe that um, you you only have to read a snippet of Jesus' teachings to realize that when he came, everything he taught about ups the ante. He raises the bar when it comes to forgiveness. How many times must I forgive someone? Seven times? No, try 70 times seven. Should I I love uh, uh, people who love me? No, 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 you should love your enemy. And he ups the any, he raises the bar. And so check this out. Peter says in his first epistle, he says, dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires, they wage war against your very souls. And so I believe it starts by understanding that you're a temporary resident and your temporary residency is the key to not getting caught up in an unhealthy concern for money. Some of us have such a difficult time uh, even listening to someone teach on tithing and giving because we have an unhealthy concern for money. We see ourselves as citizens of this world instead of citizens of heaven. In Hebrews 11:16, we learn about the heroes of faith and the attitude that they had. In verse 16, it says, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so what we see here is what we trade in, anything we give, anything we invest, any time that is spent, any gift that is given is never wasted. And that it's nothing in comparison to what we gain when God's kingdom comes complete. So how do I determine what I should give? Paul lays it out pretty easily. In 2 Corinthians 9, verse six and seven, he says, remember this, and we talked about this a little bit last week, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. And so how much should we give? What kind of crop do you want? Do you want a sparing crop or do you want a generous crop? If you wanna sow a generous crop, then you, or if you wanna reap a generous crop, you must sow generously with your seed. But this crop is not just about money crop, okay? This isn't the prosperity gospel. God is not the stock market. It's not, hey, give me $100 and you will receive a check for 10,000. But the blessings of God come upon the generous in many shapes and forms. So how much should we give? He goes on to say in verse seven, you must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So if I stand up here and I try to pressure you, then I risk causing you to stumble and miss out on the blessing of giving with a cheerful heart because I lead you to giving begrudgingly. I lead you to giving out of fear. I lead you to giving out of obligation, and I don't ever want to be a part of that. So how you give, we see, is more important even than what you give. And let me tell you this. If God has your heart, he's got your wallet. If he has your heart, he's got your wallet. And I'll be honest with you. I've grown up in church my whole life, and there's something that happens when the preacher preaches on giving. It's like I see people like reach behind, and they hug their wallet, and they tense up, i like, oh man, what's he gonna say? That could be reflective, certainly, of the abuses that have taken place over the past, but I believe sometimes it's also reflective of where our heart is. They would say, God, you can have this, but my wallet is mine. So let's take a look at what the early church felt was right to give And this is going to mess you up for the rest of your life. And so I just apologize right now. In Acts 4, 32, we see a very unique attitude that the believers had about giving. It says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt, somebody say they felt, that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything, somebody say everything. everything, everything they had. They felt. That means that they were compelled from within to not only give, but to live as though they own nothing. Wow. This isn't even mine. I mean, it's, it's in my hands. Um, I've been put in charge of it, but it doesn't even belong to me. Can you imagine having that attitude about some of your most prized possessions? And so I ask you, Which covenant, old or new, has the higher standard of giving? Go ahead, answer me. (laughs) The new, right? And so this whole life squared living that we've been talking about, in order to experience it, we have to uncork ourselves. We have to uncork this fountain of life that we call this church, that God has designed to flow out of us. And we do this by raising our standard Generosity. So this morning I want to quickly go through four points. They're just gonna be boom, 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 and then we're gonna go be the church. Four ways that will raise the standard of generosity in your life. So here we go. Let's first take a look at Acts chapter four, starting in verse 41. But I want you to quickly just take a peek at the first four verses of chapter four. Because what you'll find happening is the, the promise gift of the Holy Spirit falls upon the believers as they're all gathered together in one place. And as a result, it says that tongues of fire begin to appear above their heads and they begin to praise and prophesy and speak in other languages. Not just other languages, not just heavenly languages, but the people that were there in the the marketplace, they heard them praising God in their their native tongue. Like, how is this even possible? And so God shows up in this supernatural and marvelous way. And we as Pentecostals just like to hang out there, right? And we're like, yeah, yeah, it's all about speaking in tongues. If you haven't been speaking in tongues, you got to come up here and get the gift of speaking in tongues. But we don't ever talk about why we need the gift of speaking in tongues. Why do we need the Holy Spirit in our lives? And so what happens is if we fast forward to verse 41, we see the result of what happened in the first few verses. What happened? It, it, the, it, if that was the end of the story, it would be all about they walked around speaking in tongues all the time. And they laid hands on other people and they spoke in tongues, and some of that happened. But that would have been just the whole story. It's the end all, be all, speaking in tongues. But what was really impressive and what caused the gospel of Jesus of Christ to be accelerated and what caused the early church to explode in growth was what we see here in verse 41. So go there with me. If I can find it, I'm in the chapter 4, that's why. There we go. So, outpouring of the Holy Spirit just happens, right? And listen to the first result, verse 41. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. This was the result of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so what we find is that the resulting experience after receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a level of generosity and community that was so compelling that God would add to their number, not weekly, but daily. Check this out, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything They had, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. Each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved so what compelled the early church to give this way? Well, it was a couple of things. One, it was an attitude of gratitude for what they, knew they had experienced that had been so freely given to them. The spirit of God was poured out upon them. And number two, I believe they recognized what was at stake. Or as the kids say, they understood the assignment. I did that just to make Nadia cringe, right? And so think of it this way. I got this cup that Nadia got for me, so thank you, Nadia. This cup's really full, and have you ever noticed that when you have a really full cup, you have to really concentrate to make sure it doesn't spill. And the fuller it is, in other words, the more I have, the more focused I become on what I hold in my hand, and it affects the way I walk, and it affects where I look. It affects what I notice, and I can quickly begin to have tunnel vision Uh, on this cup in my hand. Why? Because I don't want to spill it. I don't want to lose what it is that I have inside. But what if I walk into my house and I have this full cup of water and my house is engulfed in flames? If I continue to keep my focus on my cup, then I'll be concerned about what I'm going to lose while the whole time everything is burning down around me. And see, what I believe God wants to do is he wants to shift our perspective. See, when I notice that my house is burning, I no longer see my cup as something to contain what I have, but I see my cup as a tool to put out the fire. See, God wants to get your eyes off of your cup so that you'll look around and see a world that is burning. Understand that everything God has given you, he has given you for you to hold it with open hands so that you'll be quickly ready to use it in a way to spread Christ around the world. And so there's four ways to give. I wanna hit real quickly for you this morning. Number one, spontaneously. To give spontaneously. Now, let me be clear. When I say give spontaneously, it doesn't mean um, to give recklessly or without any thought. But rather, this is spirit-led generosity. Do you remember when Jesus said in John 6, 5, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? This wasn't something that was poorly planned. This didn't happen because Jesus was like, oh, shoot, we brought all these people out here to teach them, and now they're gonna be hungry. What are we gonna do? I guess I better come up with some sort of miracle. Nah, God was calculated. Jesus was calculating this. He knew this was gonna happen. He set them up. We even read in that story that he asked Philip, where can we buy all this food? And it says, Jesus already knew what he was gonna do. But he was setting Philip up. And so this is not poorly planned, but Jesus knew that he would have margin to provide for these people. And I think sometimes as believers, we need to discipline ourselves to make sure we have created margin so that when needs arise, we can act. So margin in both your bank account and margin in your calendar, amen? Number two, we give consistently. The key to growth in anything is consistency, right? If I'm working out, I wish I, wish I could just get a good pump and then I walk out of the gym and I'm just ripped, right? But we know it takes consistency time after time and we are what we repeatedly do. And so there's power when we give consistently. A quick plug, I wanna challenge some of you today that the way God might want you to step into generosity is to make use of our app and to set up recurring giving. And so what happens is you go on the app, you set up recurring giving, and that tithe, whenever you set it up, maybe it's the first of the month, whenever you get your paycheck or whatever, it automatically comes out of your bank account. And I'll tell you this, you will never be more generous then when you set up recurring giving. Because it's a set it and forget it type of attitude that comes over you to say, this already belongs to God. And so I'm already setting aside, check this out. Paul says something similar to this in, in, in 1 Corinthians sixteen two he says, on the first day of each week, so every Sunday, you should each put aside a portion of money that you have earned. To set it aside first sometimes is a big step towards stepping into generosity. This establishes a baseline for our generosity. And I love about this is he says, to set aside a portion, a portion or a percentage of whatever you make. I'm gonna go ahead and invite the worship team to come up and we're gonna bring this in for a landing with two final points. Number three is this, give proportionately. Give proportionately. See, in the Old Testament, we hear all about percentages a 10th of the land, a 10th of your, of your crop, a 10th you know, of this, a 10th of that, right? God thinks in percentages when it comes to giving. And so should we. Check this out. Jesus said in Mark 12, 43, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions for they gave a tiny part, somebody say tiny part, They give a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And so the widow gave more than anyone because she gave 100%. Number four, giving radically, radically. This is over and above the tithe. This is something that we've been talking about this whole series, something that we're gonna have an opportunity to do in just a few moments, to give over and above to tithe, to give at a level of generosity that says, God, I believe that none of this is wasted, that when I invest it in your kingdom, the result is gonna be souls, lives changed. It's the type of giving that we're shown in Acts chapter two. It's extreme. It gets the attention, it it creates a compelling community. I wanna say one more time that I'm proud of this church. And I mentioned this last week, but this has been a rough year for many of you. And as a result, though, many of you, because you've stayed faithful when the economy hasn't been wonderful, or maybe you've been in, in between jobs, we've been able to give assistance to those who just couldn't pay their rent. They couldn't pay their electric bill. They were having trouble feeding their family. And because you stayed consistent and because you gave generously and some of you have given radically, we've been able to make sure that everybody is taken care of. But radical giving really raises the bar. Radical giving is, is, is a completely different mentality. It's moving from loving to give to living to give. It's kind of like having the job of a UPS delivery driver on Christmas Eve. You didn't pay for any of those gifts, but each gift that you drop off on the doorstep is gonna bring joy to whoever it is that receives it. Today we're gonna have the opportunity to do just that. Each table is gonna be given a handful of gifts that you didn't pay for directly, and you're gonna have a chance to bless somebody with it. So you don't own these gift cards that we're gonna give you, do you? They don't belong to you, but yet you get the pleasure of distributing them to our neighbors door to door, and bringing a smile to their face, and hopefully opening up a door to share Jesus with them. What God wants to get through us today is that's the mentality we should have about everything we make. Everything we thought we earned through our job. I worked good and hard for that paycheck and I'll spend it how I want. And God wants to say, no, 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 no. You only have that job because I gave it to you. You think that job is your provider? I'm your provider. That job can be lost overnight. You can be furloughed, you can be laid off. I am your provider. And we're gonna have an opportunity to put this in practice today. Just a few moments, we're also gonna have an opportunity to give. And I just wanna challenge you guys in multiple ways, this is how you can step into generosity today. There'll be two offerings. One is the one that we're gonna take up here in just a moment. It's the end of the year offering. And we've just been challenging you to pray, again, not manipulating you, not twisting your arm, but to pray and decide within your own heart, what is the Holy Spirit challenging you to give? And it is often at these end of the year offerings that we're able to distribute funds in areas that continue to advance the kingdom of God, as well as do things like steward the building that God has given us. But there's multiple ways you can step into generosity. Some of you, you just say, you know what? I don't really give regularly at all. And so as a starting point, I'm gonna begin to trust God with my tithe. And you can step into generosity today by maybe writing that first tithe check, 10% of your income. Maybe you're gonna step into generosity today by doing what I said earlier. I need to give more consistently. And one of the ways I can help myself do that is I can sign up for recurring giving on the app. Or maybe it's, I'm gonna give above and beyond the tithe at this end of the year offering because I believe what God can do with what I give. And so here's what's gonna happen. I just wanna invite you to, first of all to stand and we're gonna pray and you'll see two buckets, one here, as well as two baskets full of corks. I've been using this, um, this, this phrase to uncork the fountain. And so these are custom corks printed on them, Fountain of Life Church, uncorked, stepping into generosity. So what I want you invite you to do today is as you come and you bring your offerings today, that you would take a cork as a reminder that you've been called to overflow. That as God has freely given his spirit to us, we freely pour it out because sometimes we put a cork and what God wants to do because after He's freely poured out, we keep it to ourselves. So I just want to challenge you as I pray to come up, give, grab a cork. These are magnets, by the way. We put little magnets on them so you can hang it on your refrigerator. It's just a reminder. But would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I thank You so much for this opportunity, God, to respond out of gratitude to what you've done in our lives, Lord. God, not only do I pray that our church would step into generosity with what they give here to this body of believers, but God, that they become generous out there, that they would tip their waiters and waitresses, that they'd help those in need, that they'd take a homeless person to lunch, that they'd go out to the parks and serve, that they'd sign up, to serve on a fountain team, that they'd be a part of the outreaches that we do in the community. God, to uncork the potential that you've placed within them through your Holy Spirit, God. Freely we've been given, and today we pray you would uncork a whole nother level of generosity in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the team leads us in this song, I just wanna invite you to bring up your offerings and grab a cork. And then in a few moments, Esther's going to come and talk about our missions focus.
2: that we have this morning. First of all, don't forget that we're staying after church this morning. We're gonna be the church in our neighborhood. We're gonna go out, we're gonna distribute uh, gift cards, and we're going to invite people to come to our Christmas activities here at the church. We have a lot going on during Christmas time. So if you wanna find out what's happening within our, during the month of December, and go to our app, go to the website, use the QR code on the little stand on your table, and it will tell you all the events that are going on. You can take a moment to be seated while I invite Siobhan to come up. Most of you know Siobhan because you see her around here all the time, but we have some people that don't know that Siobhan, this is Siobhan's second job. Siobhan works at a ministry that we support on a monthly basis with our missions offering here at the church. And that ministry is OCJ Kids. So Siobhan, why don't you tell us about OCJ Kids, what they do?
3: OCJ stands for Opportunity, Community and Justice for Foster Kids and we connect with DCS and foster group homes in the valley actually in all of Arizona providing resources, tools, house mentors, transition suitcases, cell phones for our aged out youth um, helping to the journey of a kid in care from the time they're removed to the time they turn 21. And um, you have several large events
2: that you do throughout the year one of those events is coming up one bright star
3: you want to tell us about that this is our favorite year of the event event of the year right okay so it is our christmas event where we have 76 group homes coming out on saturday december 9th and sunday december 10th Um, And we need volunteers, especially on Sunday. I know there's a concert going on that night, but you will be done and able to come in and enjoy the concert afterwards. Um, There are spaces open um, to volunteer on Sunday evening. Can I tell you, what will you be doing? You'll be hanging out with the kids on the bowling bowling lanes. I will tell you, we have 86 people signed up for Sunday, as of last week half of those people will not show up so you can go on our to our website and sign up today um, to come and help us out on sunday the 10th
2: and while we support ocj kids monthly through our missions offering as a congregation i know that besides the big events there are other ways that people can volunteer and can get involved with ocj kids i can Giving of your time
3: generously. You Wanna tell us a couple of those? Ooh, okay, a couple of them. Can I say a few? A few. Um, your connect groups can come in and do projects in our office. You can easily do jar full of sunshine notes, um, helping to prevent burnout and quitting from caseworkers to group home staff. Also, you can become a house mentor going into the group homes um, and working with these kids on a weekly, bi-monthly basis, or you become a phone mentor. Ooh, what is that? See me afterwards.
2: If you've got, yeah, thank you. And you're here for lunch, I'm here for lunch. If you've got some questions, be sure that you see Siobhan. As Joe said, we're taking two offerings today. The offering that came, that you brought forward first was the End of the Year Above and Beyond Generous Offering. Back at the back are our normal offering buckets. And on Mission Sunday, the offering that is not designated, everything goes toward missions. So we can support OCJ Kids, Siobhan, and others that are working there. So. As we stand this morning, if you'll stand with me, I wanna pray for OCJ Kids, but I also wanna pray over our missions offering. Father, I thank you that you have given us the opportunity to um, bless OCJ Kids to work with the foster care community. I thank you, Lord, that we are able to impact thousands of young people who have been removed from their homes and are in foster care. And I pray, Father, that as we give generously today, you will multiply that which we give above and beyond everything that we could imagine. And I thank you for that, Lord. Bless those who give today. May they receive abundantly above what they've given. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're going to take a real quick dismissal. It's like if you're a...